Hey there, it's Tom Ryan, founder and CEO of ICR. Before we get into the next episode, I wanted to ask that you subscribe to the show. It'll help us get even more unique and interesting guests on the podcast and in turn continue to educate management teams and the growing ecosystem that creates value for fast-growing private and public companies. And while you're at it, head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating. Very much appreciated. We have to have you know, incredible infrastructure in terms of cold chain, refrigerated packaging. You have to be an expert in terms of the logistics of dealing with airlines and trucking lines, etc. Businesses operating with global partners and consumers require meticulous organization and reliable communication. What it comes down to essentially for us is being a partner with our customers rather than a supplier. And that kind of relationship with our customers has led to our success. Being a public company can be hard. Small missteps can have outsized consequences. I'm Tom Ryan, founder and CEO of ICR, and over the last 20 years, we've helped thousands of companies understand and navigate the stock market and the media. We'll demystify these and other increasingly complex stakeholder groups so you can focus on what you do best, building your company, and unlocking your true potential. This is Welcome to the Arena. The food industry is a tough business that relies on tight planning and logistics, but today's guest has created a finely tuned operation by taking advantage of technological innovations. Today on the show, we're sitting down with Sean O'Scanlon, who founded Fortune International in 2001. Since then, the company has grown both organically and through numerous acquisitions into one of the country's leading processors, distributors, and importers of quality seafood, meats, and gourmet products. Today, Fortune International employs over 1,300 people and is the parent company of Fortune Fish and Gourmet Fortune Imports, Chef Martin, Coastal Seafood, D'Artagnan, and Lobstergram. The company handles more than 10,000 seafood and gourmet products daily throughout the central, southeastern, and northeastern United States. It's no surprise that Sean is well-respected in the seafood industry. Among many leadership positions, he's a past chairman of the National Fisheries Institute, and he's a founding member of CPAC, a group of seafood companies dedicated to driving continuous improvement of social, economic, and environmental responsibility throughout the global seafood chain. Sean grew up in Portland, has a BA from the College of the Holy Cross, and has an MBA from the Kellogg School of Management at Northwestern University. Let's enter the arena with Sean O'Scanlon. We're probably the largest specialty focused processor and distributor of high quality seafood, gourmet foods, specialty meats, and other products, about 15,000 products we carry across the board, mainly selling into the white tablecloth independent restaurant community, but also into high-end, more gourmet retailers like our largest customer, Whole Foods. So we have about 15,000 customers across the United States operating essentially from Denver all the way east. And uh, we've got um, plans to uh, start distributing in California very soon. So we're going to be what we would call coast to coast, if not nationwide. One of the first specialty food people to get into coast to coast delivery. Going back to 2001, 
What gave you the inspiration to start the company, the idea? How did the whole thing come to you? I was running uh, another company in the space in Chicago called The Plitt Company, and uh, I was a minority partner, and I had a majority owner that, uh, you know, frankly, I didn't see eye to eye with on, in terms of vision. I went to him to, uh, to talk about buying him out, and he wouldn't sell. In fact, he said, you're right, it's not working out, so why don't you get out? So uh, I left, which is fine. It was the greatest thing that ever happened. I left, started the business in August of 2001, so perhaps the worst timing in the history of entrepreneurship a month before the awful events of 9-11, which really was a very difficult start for us because obviously that threw the economy into turmoil. We use airplanes, passenger planes, to... uh, bring most of our seafood into Chicago at that time, which was where we were located. That was a very difficult period and uh, spent the first couple of years in and out of the workout group at our bank uh, before we sort of stabilized and were able to start growing again and get going. But uh, from inauspicious starts to uh, to today, we've obviously grown from five people into 1,300 employees and locations all across the country. And, uh, you know, it's been a, it's been a great run. Is what's happening today, was that the vision that you had back at that time? Did you feel the industry was like ripe for change or improvement? What, what did you see that maybe somebody else didn't? Yeah, I think the specialty focus rather than, than you know, trying to be like a broadliner, like a Cisco, which, you know, you can buy cleaning products and, and flour and obviously lots of things that restaurants need. But we wanted to focus on the higher end, on the unique products. We wanted to focus on quality. But I think What it comes down to essentially for us is being a partner with our customers rather than a supplier. And that means it's a collaborative experience. If they need something out of the ordinary, we find it. If they need uh, a second delivery because they just booked a big party that night, we'll figure out a way to do it. It's just, you know, you want to be there for your customers. You want them to look at you and say, this is not just, you know, the guy that, that brings a delivery once or twice a week. This is somebody who's here in many cases every single day. We collaborate on menu planning. Again, like I said, sometimes in our business, because of the really complex logistics of getting fresh seafood from halfway across the world to our locations here, is very difficult. And planes are late and freight gets bumped. So um, we figure out a way to, if, if something's late, to get it to them so they can have it and serve it to their customers. And that kind of relationship with our customers has led to our success. Being a partner versus a supplier, it's a real mindset that goes up and down an organization. Speaking of customers, you mentioned Whole Foods and I know the Four Seasons and Capital Grill and a lot of independents. How do you go about getting customers? How are you set up internally? How do you do that? We have a a fantastic sales force. One of the other things we set out to do was build a sales force of people who have experience in the industry. And that was actually easier to find than it might sound. Why would somebody who's a chef or a restaurant manager want to come to work for one of their suppliers? It's a, call it a young person's game. uh, And particularly when uh, a chef uh, gets into their 30s or gets married or has children, the mindset changes a little bit. They don't necessarily want to work every weekend and every night. Uh, a spouse might say, really? Can you come home and spend time with me and the kids? And this gives them an opportunity to be close to the industry, but also have a more reasonable lifestyle. And so our, our sales force is made up of a lot of former chefs or restaurant front of the house people 
who want to be tight to the industry and get that more reasonable lifestyle. So they understand the customer. Again, getting back to the whole partnership concept. When you're speaking to someone and you've been on the other end of the phone asking for cut of meat or uh, a, a particular olive oil from, from Spain, you can collaborate with them because you know kind of you know their language, you know their mindset. So, um, you know, it's an industry where uh, people move around a lot. So if you have a relationship with someone at one restaurant and they leave to take over another restaurant, to me, that's what it's all about. You keep the old restaurant in your, you know, in your customer base, but then you acquire the new one where, where that chef goes because of the relationship. Yeah, it's like an outsourced sales force. They're just moving around and you're getting new customers, right? Going back to when you started the business, the industry, like every industry, must have changed quite a bit over the last 20 years. How have things changed? How does technology play a part in that? How do you all use technology every day in your business? This is an industry where you have, still have some people, you know, handwriting orders and sending them into the back to be uh, processed and that kind of thing. We really adopted technology early on in our company. Uh, in our ERP, and we've continuously developed and tried to upgrade as often as possible to the point now where barcoding for receiving and for picking, and you know, for example, one of the, one of the biggest problems when you're trying to get 50 trucks out the door from 5 a.m. to 7 a.m. and uh, you're loading everybody up, did you miss a box or a piece of an order or something? And for for example, now we're at a point where our drivers scan every box as it goes onto the truck. If it's a box that shouldn't be on the truck and won't let them proceed until they, they find the right truck for that box. And then once everything is loaded and they think they've got everything, if anything is missing, it won't let you invoice these orders until you find the missing product. And then you go get it, you scan it, everything's ready, the invoices are printed and everybody can, that driver can leave. Eliminating that not on the truck error, by the way, was a big achievement for us, something we focused on probably 10 years ago. And that's been a big step. And it's due to technology. It's due to things like scanning and barcodes. And, and we've adopted that early on. In our e-commerce fulfillment center, where we work with a lot of e-commerce companies in the food industry to fulfill their orders, we have voice picking software that is just tremendous. And it is a very high-tech operation. And basically, products are on conveyor belts and picked. And, you know, the computer will say, go pick one of these, go pick two of those. Goes into the box, gets taped up, the dry ice goes in, and it basically goes on a conveyor belt right into the FedEx semi for overnight shipment. So technology to me is, is a huge thing. And, and we're excited right now because we're about to implement a customer ordering app, which will allow our customers to um, basically have an order guide, scan our entire product portfolio, place their order. If we have a, an issue with availability, it'll, it'll prompt them with three or four substitute products that they can choose. And then it'll go on to send them a text message when they're 15 minutes away from making the delivery. It'll allow them to look in the morning and see what time is that delivery scheduled. So it really helps them plan their day as well. We'll also be able to communicate directly with them, talk about promotions and things like that. So we're very excited about that implementation, which will be coming up probably next quarter. Sean, I wanted to ask you kind of a fun question. You know, most people, when they go out to a restaurant, they don't think that much about where their food comes from, probably. And you talked about the complexity of getting some kind of seafood from halfway around the world and getting it onto somebody's dinner plate. What's like a super complicated one to get from 
point A to point B? You know, uh, you, you have to have infrastructure in terms of cold chain, refrigerated packaging. Uh, you have to be an expert, in, you know, in terms of the logistics of dealing with airlines and trucking lines, et cetera. In some cases on our frozen product, our shipping lines, when we produce frozen product overseas. So you know, logistics is crucial. An example, say it's Monday morning and our buyers are coming in and they know they, they need cod from Iceland. They'll call the supplier in Iceland and the guy will be saying right now, they're harvesting right now. He'll be hitting the dock here in, you know, three hours. We place the order. Uh, it's an, it's primarily uh, processed there, usually just eviscerated or headed. In, in some cases, it's filleted, but um, we like to buy whole fish whenever possible. And then it's packaged in refrigerated packaging, uh, with, usually with uh, gel packs, sometimes with dry ice. Sometimes wet ice, but usually gel packs in, in insulated containers. And then that's taken to the airport in Reykjavik, booked on a flight the next morning. It heads out, it lands at O'Hare, say at 6 p.m. the following day. So now we're one day in. We've got that product. It clears customs, say by 8 o'clock. Our biggest shift in terms of processing is overnight from, say, 8 p.m. to 8 a.m. So then we recover that freight. We're five minutes from O'Hare. It's brought into our plant. It's further processed, whatever that customer needs, be it portions, be it fillets. Sometimes the pin bones are removed. Sometimes the skin is taken off. And then at 6 a.m., it's on a truck on its way into downtown Chicago and delivered to uh, a fine restaurant like Maple and Ash in downtown Chicago and, and served Wednesday night, less than three days later, from when that, that fish was actually swimming wild in the ocean. So you can see things can go wrong in that process, but you've got to be able to pivot, and we do. But for the most part, it's like clockwork. Yeah, and you're doing that stuff a thousand times a day. That yep. <laughs> that made me nervous, yeah. just that one example, right? You do it yeah, like- that thousand times a day in 15 different locations across the country, so... In the last 10 years, Fortune International has completed 16 business acquisitions, including their most recent purchase of Boston Sword and Tuna. With consolidation as a centerpiece of the business growth strategy, I asked Sean how Fortune approaches these businesses and what they look for in an acquisition. We kind of have a few different avenues that we look at for M&A. First is geographic expansion. So if we can get into a new market where we haven't been before, we always look for opportunities like that. The best example of that would be in 2016, we wanted to expand into uh, Minnesota, primarily prodded by Whole Foods, who was, we were selling their stores in Minneapolis uh, through their distribution center, which added a day, and they wanted a daily delivery direct because they were planning on building, I think, seven or eight additional stores, which, which they have since done. And so we looked around for an opportunity up in, uh, in Minneapolis, and that's where we found Coastal Seafood, which was, um, you talk about consolidation. It's interesting, particularly in the seafood, but also in especially uh, products, gourmet, specialty meats. A lot of these companies right now are either entrepreneur founded and still owned uh, by an entrepreneur who might be a little older, uh, into their 60s, perhaps 70s. Uh, very often, 
the next generation is doing their own thing and is not interested in, in taking over for mom or dad. And they were looking for somebody who is going to maintain their legacy, who's going to uh, take care of their employees, value their employees. They don't want some big slash and burn type buyer who's going to lay off half the staff. And so we're often a really good fit for people like that. I can speak the language. We're fellow entrepreneurs. We really value management. We don't have a deep bench of people at headquarters who, who can parachute in and, and take over a company we buy. If, if there's not a really good management team, particularly if the owner is, is going to go into retirement or semi-retirement, we absolutely have to make sure that there is a quality management team that is committed to staying and continuing to grow the business. So a lot of what we look for in acquisitions is great people. And, and that should never be underestimated in terms of value. Kind of blends into my next question, which is you must have made some mistakes and learned a lot along the way. What are other things that you need to avoid in kind of approaching, uh, you know, an acquisition like that and how you integrate it into the Fortune platform? You know, in terms of pitfalls, you know, we had one case where we bought the company, integrated them into Fortune. This was really our first big deal in 2012, uh, which was JDY Gourmet. And uh, it was a husband and wife running the business. And, you know, they thought that once we bought them, that nothing would change. They would continue to do whatever they want and run the company the way they wanted. Yeah. And obviously, that's not the case. It was clear they had a little bit of a different vision. They didn't want to be told what to do. Not that we were telling them what to do, but, you know, there has to be some, some cooperation and integration in order to extract all the synergies and values from an acquisition. It became apparent this wasn't going to work. And I think after six months, they were out the door. And, and that taught me, to, you know, you really need to get that alignment uh, before you actually close. Yeah, and, managing and if you expectations. Don't, yeah, manage expectations, uh, get that alignment. And if, and if it's not going to work, maybe you don't actually acquire that business. So th I think it's the management, it's the expectations and the plan going forward, getting that alignment up, up front and making sure you're all on the same page. Yeah. And then having a, a robust uh, pipeline of options where if you hit a, a dead end somewhere, you have other choices. Tell us about Boston Sword and Tuna, Sean. Like what's going on with Boston Sword and Tuna? And then how about your broader pipeline uh, for M&A? Well, Boston Sword is a terrific company, still run by the founder, uh, a guy named Mike Scola. Longtime fish guys, uh, well-respected in the industry. This was really one of, you know, another avenue for us in terms of acquisitions. This is really more of a vertical integration. This will get us closer to the source on a number of wonderful products, particularly uh, New England uh, products. They have gotten into some terrific technology with skin packing. So for example, a tray pack skin packed portion of salmon. For example, you might have two six ounce salmon portions you'd see, say, in a Trader Joe's store. And they have that down in terms of technology and the, the really expensive but um, efficient equipment for doing that. And they've developed some great relationships with big nationwide uh, retailers. Uh, so we're excited about the possibilities there. The other thing that happens is, for example, we produce our own shrimp overseas. We produce our own crab meat overseas. We have a number of products uh, in our specialty side that we produce now. We can also start distributing through Boston Sword and Tuna. So there's a two-way street, and it's great. They have, I would argue, uh, perhaps the best 
It's a brand new building right on the waterfront in Boston Harbor in the Seaport District. It's brand new and they're just completing an acquisition. It was, it was brand new three years ago and it is state-of-the-art, beautiful, and we're really excited to be acquiring them and to be working with them going forward because we think we can expand what they're doing tremendously. So With D'Artagnan, you mentioned them when you acquired that business, you, you acquired a, a large and growing direct-to-consumer business with that. What, how does that fit into Fortune and how do you handle the trickiness of kind of direct and, uh, and what you do every day? Yeah, it's a little tricky. It was uh, wonderful for them through the pandemic, uh, because like uh, a lot of direct-to-consumer businesses, um, that exploded. Obviously, that's that's cooled off a bit since, but it's still running ahead of, say, pre-pandemic levels. So we think in the long term, consumers have accepted the idea of being able to order food online. It was one of the last sort of major product groups, I think, um, to significant growth. And we think the, the pandemic accelerated that by five or 10 years in terms of uh, continuing to grow and being a great business. We've already worked with D'Artagnan's uh, e-commerce team to add a whole new range of uh, seafood products that they didn't have before. And that's a growing category for them. So that, that's an example of where we can add value to an, a new acquisition and their e-commerce expertise can help us in other areas as well. So there's a lot of great um, synergies that are created when you combine two, two companies and it, and it doesn't necessarily have to be in the same business. In fact, complementary businesses are often great for adding value. So that's what we're finding with, with D'Artagnan, yeah. I know you made a few new corporate appointments, uh, chief revenue officer, marketing, HR. You're obviously continuing to grow and manage, you know, kind of a evolving business and having to integrate all this stuff together. Talk about your senior team. Yeah, we'll do. It's a great example of why having a strategic and financial partner like InvestCorp has created value. When they acquired us, we were much smaller but we knew we wanted to grow like we've grown in the last three years. And um, they were very thoughtful about and, and very strategic about saying, look, you need to really plan ahead for what the company's gonna look like when it's three or four times larger. And, and what does that look like? And how do you get there? Do you have some internal folks who can, who can sort of uh, take the baton and, and, and take new responsibilities? Or do we know, need to go out and recruit? So we hired a, a consulting firm, Stratton Consulting, and, and it was sort of like the old uh, Wayne Gretzky quote about his success in hockey, which was, I skate to where the puck is going, not where it is. So we, we sort of looked out and said, where are we going? And what does that world look like? And who are the types of people we need? And do we have them in-house? Great. If we don't, let's go find them. So we've now built out our senior management team and really brought in some fantastic people with great experience. A new chief financial officer who had uh, worked with PE uh, ownership before in the food industry with uh, nationwide manufacturing. We brought in a guy from uh, a big broadline competitor, uh, Chef's Warehouse, who had uh, uh, great experience uh, as a chief supply chain officer, so he's now overseeing all of our purchasing. We brought in some other folks with great industry experience in our CMO, Ian Navarro, who worked for a company called What Chefs Want, uh, Creation Gardens. And then through our acquisition of D'Artagnan, we had promoted uh, 
their senior sales uh, guy to be Fortune's CRO, which completes our senior level management team. So, so now we have the horses to uh, take us to the next level and, and to continue growing from where we are now. Yeah. Can't be understated how um, a great team makes a company valuable. So how are you managing the business in the current environment with inflation? And are you able to pass price along? How, do you, how are you dealing with that? We've been able to actually grow our margins in the last year or two. We saw a lot of inflation uh, during the uh, supply chain difficulties of COVID when uh, you know, you, you recall the stories of, you know, a hundred ships off of Long Beach, California, waiting and trying to get in and unload their products. That created a ton of inflation in our business because of scarcity uh, of inventory. And then that almost uh, reversed itself once, once those supply chain problems cleared up. Yeah, things like fuel have been difficult. We passed uh, uh, during the height uh, of fuel probably a year and a half ago. We, we added a fuel surcharge. And uh, so you have to really be thoughtful and do what you can. Uh, thankfully, our customers understand what we're going through, and they know they need to pass on prices, which is not um, pr- price increases, which is not the easiest thing to do. But working together and helping uh, customers find value opportunities and perhaps uh, lower uh, cost items to put on their menu, we can work together to, to manage through this. What is your total addressable market? It's obviously not just seafood. You're kind of a logistics company and you're, you have all these different products that could potentially go through your pipeline. What, how do you see your total market? We believe the total addressable market for food service is $300 billion. It's huge. Okay. And we think, you know, when you get into the, the specialty products group, it's probably $30 billion. And uh, sales for uh, 2022 were $834 million. So we're, we feel like we're scratching the surface here. We think we have a lot of room to grow and expand and take more market. So we're excited about kind of where we're positioned now and what we can do in the next, you know, three, five, seven years. Two rapid fire questions here, Sean. If you're having friends over for dinner, what are, what are three food items that you guys offer that you, uh, that you love? Well, I might start with some fine caviars. I, I like Ocetra caviar. We supply a wide range uh, of caviar products from all over the world. I like the um, seasonal products because they're not available all year. And then when the season opens, you get excited to have them. So um, big fan of Florida stone crab, which, you know, you can get now everywhere. And then I like, you know, kind of in a similar bent, I really enjoy the wild salmon season, particularly uh, Alaskan. And um, there's a great wild salmon called an ivory king. That's what I would go to right now if you, if you only give me three. How about um, what city do you uh, distribute to that uh, you're kind of really digging these days that you like to visit and, and, and spend a little time in? Well, one of our most recent acquisitions was a company called New Orleans Fish House, which is the, uh, is the leading uh, seafood and now gourmet food operator in New Orleans itself. Known those guys for a long time, and we were thrilled to complete that acquisition in July. But to your question, New Orleans has a unique and fun and fantastic food scene. Some really great independent restaurants there. A great vibe is a city. So I take the opportunity to go down there whenever I can, just because I enjoy it down there so much and have some great favorite restaurants down there that uh, I go to uh, as often as I can. 
Fortune International has maintained consistent global growth through their gourmet products, outstanding partners, and by prioritizing the close relationships they share with their customers. Their eagerness to adapt and innovate has landed them at the top of their market as a reliable distributor for their thousands of customers. Welcome to the arena. We're working really hard to bring you exciting guests and great content. If you found this episode insightful, subscribe to the show on your podcast app and leave us a five-star rating. The more the show grows, the more interesting voices we can have on the podcast. And in turn, that should demystify a lot of the stakeholders around public companies and soon-to-be public companies. Thanks for listening. I'd like to thank Sean for joining me today on the show. His unique experience in the food industry has helped him build a business that prioritizes shifting customer needs, and it's led to incredible growth. This is Tom Ryan. We'll see you next time back in the arena. References to specific stocks are not intended to be recommendations for specific trading behavior. Comments presented on this podcast are intended for informational and educational purposes only, and do not represent opinions or recommendations on whether to buy, sell, or hold shares of a particular stock. All investors are advised to conduct their own independent research into individual stocks before making a trading decision. In addition, investors are advised that past stock performance is no guarantee of future price performance.